Coming up this week, off screen, we celebrate another happy death day, get an instant family, encounter a jellyfish, and face a private war. All those to come and more, off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show and Podcast. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Cunnock. And I'm John Coulson. So, welcome back, Mr. Coulson. We've had a week off. We did. And, you know, in that time, we had some BAFTA winners. We did. We did. And it was, uh, well, a, des- a night full of deserving winners, but entirely unsurprising ones. Yeah. And in some cases, though, in just maybe one. Really, really mystifying. But we'll get into those uh, in a second because, you know, we've got all loads of things to come up. We've yep. got, uh, you know, the film reviews of the week. Yep. We've got all the film news that accompanies the piece of film news we're queuing up. Um, you know, Box Office Top 5, all the usual fun. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, podcast edition. Uh, pop along to any podcast repository. Yep, that's really. the way it works. And, and just and on there, we're on Acast, Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts as well. Spotify. Spotify. In fact, did you know there's a thing, I think it's called pod.link or something. You just go on there and you just type in whatever podcast you want and it searches the world and it puts it on a profile page with all of the links for every platform it can be accessed on do that guys that sounds awesome doesn't it <laughs> I really like that and they even have a little short link for your show so great for publicity purposes. it's one of them uh, websites that you didn't know you needed Ex- exactly that's what it is it's like uh, it's like that TV calendar website where you <laughs> yes <laughs> So yeah, podcast editions out there, um, extended, more news, more reviews, all stuff we can't cram into the radio edit. Find it on your podcast uh, platform of preference. So, BAFTA winners. Yes. Okay. Greatest thing I have ever seen in my life. I know for some people this might be, oh no, we haven't. We wouldn't have missed the BAFTAs, would we, if we'd taken that? No. We did. In fact, it wouldn't have happened. We still would have had to cover the BAFTAs now. Yes. I'm, I'm out of my mind. We still would have. It doesn't matter that we took a week <laughs> yeah. off. Okay, greatest thing I'd seen in my life. Okay. Christian Bale's face when Rami Malek wins Best Actor for Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh. Which, if you've ever seen American Psycho, yes. you have seen this exact face before. Oh, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> and then there was uh, Bradley Cooper, who it cut to at the same time, who just had this look of, I don't know what's happened here today. This <laughs> world doesn't make sense anymore. But uh, And then there was Rami Malek on stage, noticeably not thanking Brian Singer. So, oh. mm, yeah... So uh, Letitia Wright won uh, E.E. Rising Star because it, re- it it is a literal popularity contest. And they don't even hide it. <laughs> they don't really don't. <laughs> I think you do vote for it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, let's. Oh, whoever did the uh, the script writing for Joanna Lumley for the monologues? Good lord. Rethink your life. That was terrible. Uh, just... Like some of those. Was it the Clan Film Festival and stuff? You just like. Why have you done this? I. I yeah. Oh. But uh, let's see. Uh, Mahershala Ali won an award, Best Supporting for Green Book. Nice. Yes. And you know what? The dude was really choked up as well. It's because he's awesome. He is awesome. He's just a great guy. I want him to be one of my friends. (laughs) I want him to be in better movies than Alita Battle Angel. Uh, let's see. I mean, say it, it was it was just one of those nights where you kind of predicted ev- everyone who was going to walk away with to a degree. So Spike Lee won the Best Adapted Screenplay Award, oh. and you thought, okay, that's, he's finally got his recognition. That's that's it's starting up. The most mystifying one for me personally, I think Roma won Best Picture, and I was just thinking, why, what, 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 what on earth is the motivation behind this? Like, 
I understand. I mean, to be honest with you, it's the BAFTAs. I expected the favourite to win yeah. Best Picture because yeah. it seems like the kind of film the BAFTAs would love. That's what we called. So yeah, That's yeah. And in fact, uh, uh, Olivia Coleman did win for for the favourite. She won Best Actress. Oh, there for you the go. For it. And Rachel Weisz won uh, uh, Best Supporting. Ah. so you know the ladies clean house on uh, <clears throat> on uh, on the favourite. So it, and the most uh, weird one for me: um, Black Panther won Best Visual Effects. Yeah, yeah, not for the. Train scene fight. Not, not for that train fight. Or not for the bit where he's chasing the 4x4 through the streets of uh, oh, slow, Busan, South Korea. Slow motion backflips. Slow motion backflips. Slow motion backflips. Uh, back I thought you were saying it in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. Slow motion backflips. And when he runs up the side of the building and jumps off and like, pulls off the oh. like, you're like, How can you give best visual effects to any movie that contains that? It does look cool, though, when they kick the suit and the purple like spreads out. It does a bit, but sometimes the movement just reminds me of those really obviously CGI moments from Blade 2. Like when he's got the god lights on in the background and you see like the silhouette, when they turn to like silhouette form. Do you mean the rubber fight? Yeah, the rubber fights. <laughs> yeah. Exactly like that. Also, I mean, Ready Player One was up for this. Ready Player One was up oh, for best yeah. visual effects. Oh. Thinking, who on earth is looking at Black Panther and saying, yeah, this is way better visual effects. This is way cooler than Ready Player One. Oh. Like, I mean, Black Panther's cool as hell. Yeah. But Ready Player One is, that's a work of true computer animation genius. You know. You've got a good point. <laughs> you know, when you're right, you're right. <laughs> also, First Man. Did anyone come away from First Man thinking those visual effects, man, that's where that was at? Like, what? That was, that was insane. And, oh, oh, and, and this was my favourite thing. This will amuse Kelly, because I know she, she enjoys the pronunciation of this. Okay. Uh, another nominee for Best Visual Effects was uh, Fantastic Beast. The Crimes of Grindel Wald, oh. as the BAFTAs called it. God. She, yeah. <laughs> honestly, that makes us so angry. I know, I know. Uh, best original screenplay, by the way, went to the favourite, speaking of Kelly. Yep. Uh, three guesses who won Best Original Music. Best Original Music, sorry. Um, was it um, the Lady Gaga? It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because their best original music just seems to be all-encompassing. Like it includes, seems to include the score and the song. I don't know, oh, okay. because uh, it had like Beale Street and Mary Poppins and Black Klansman on there, and they, they, you know, they go with the composer and Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper credited as winners. So I, I'm not sure how this works. Well, I but, mean, they you know. did, they did write a lot. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it clean up on Oscar night. Well, that's going to be fun. Yeah. But, uh, yes, it was, uh, it was interesting anyway. So, as I best, best adapted screenplay went to uh, Spike Lee, who uh, brilliantly declared it with, Brooklyn is in the house, oh. for which I wholeheartedly approve. I shall be in Brooklyn in mere days, so nice. I can't wait. Are you just going to walk around shouting 9-9? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to do, sir. <laughs> uh, the favourite also with best makeup and hair, by the way. Free Solo. One for the documentary. And this annoys me, um, because there were so many other more interesting candidates than Free Solo. Right. Free Solo is, you know, dude climbs a mountain, analyses his his life on the way. You know, I'm sure, I think, you know, he's, does he analyse his wife on the way as well? Can't remember. But, uh, right, the documentary McQueen, that one I can take or leave. RBG was in this, Mm. which you think, okay, probably there for the subject matter more than anything else. But they shall not grow old. The Peter Jackson restored World War II thing. Uh, that was up for this, and Three Identical Strangers, which was bloody brilliant. Yeah. But, yeah. But, I mean, that guy climbed a wall. <laughs> it's, it's a really big wall. It's a really big wall, is it? <laughs> uh, editing went to Vice, because that's what I think of when I think of Vice, the editing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sound, Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Production design, the favourite. Yeah, kind of makes sense. And then best 
animated film. Oh yes, into the Spider Verse. I'm very very happy about that. That's that's good. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, so the whole thing about uh, me thinking the favourite would take the BAFTA for best film. Yeah. It did win be- outstanding British film. So I feel like maybe that was the consolation. Then they just tried to map what they thought the Oscars were going to do. Yeah. So I think the BAFTAs think that the Oscars are going to give best picture to Roma. Right. And uh, and I'm just trying to seem in line because the the BAFTAs typically tend to predict the Oscars. Yeah, they do. They do. So you know what? I completely agree. It's like they've they've said we think you're going to go Roma, but just in case hmm. we also thought we, this was great. And as with all uh, good award ceremonies, the BAFTAs had their in memoriam segment. Yeah, uh, they did at the end. Uh, well, towards the end and. And, uh, well, they literally began with the dude who died on the Thursday, so oh. they w- they did open with uh, the most recent, and that, of course, was uh, very sad news that Albert Finney has passed. It's always sad. And uh, that one was sad. I really liked Albert Finney. And I think Albert Finney was one of those guys, I think because of my age and, like, you know, me growing up at where, they, where he was in his career at that time, oh, okay. he just seemed like a guy who starred in small supporting roles in big Hollywood, in weirdly big sort of Hollywood comedies and things. Oh, right. And then he, he appears in things like Aaron Brockovich and things like that. Yeah. And and of course you get to that I got to that sort of age where I went to uni and you're doing film studies and things and you have to watch Saturday night Sunday morning 16 times and you start to hate the notion of the British kitchen sink drama solely because of bloody Albert Finney <laughs> and uh, <laughs> terrific film but just you know I've, I've seen it to death yeah. you know what I mean it's like it's like when you drink too much vodka in your teens you can never have it again I'm, I'm there it's kind of like that yeah. it's exactly like that with me in that film but it's a terrific it's a terrific work of cinema uh, Albert Finney passed uh, very very sad news he'd been in so many iconic movies and uh, I must say I mean like, for me I mean like, stuff he's done in my lifetime I always tend to think of uh, things like being born villains until you've been Aaron Brockovich uh, he was a great actor and uh, just really sad news although you know there were loads of people as we got reminded in the uh, in memoriam seg- uh, segment just loads of really terrific people who passed this last year yeah. and uh, of course I'd, I'd almost managed to forget re- until I saw this that Stan Lee had passed as well so it's, it's always nice to be reminded that Stan Lee isn't around anymore yeah. but but, uh, yeah, just a fleeting shot in the, uh, oh, the in memoriam I still cried segment. I still still got a little. Oh no, Stan's not here anymore. Just got reminded we lost our Walt Disney. <laughs> but uh, okay, so uh, let's uh, cut to the break. We'll come back and we'll do our first review of the week with the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show and Podcast. And we're back, Mr. Coulson. So, uh, first review of the week time, I think? Yes. So, uh, A Private War. Now, I understand you know the story behind this as well, because we saw the documentary Under the Wire, I think, about a year ago, do you remember? Based on Paul Conroy's book. Yes. Right, and this was the uh, the story of... Uh, so, Paul Conroy was the photographer and friend of Marie Colvin, the war journalist for the Sunday Times. Yes. And she uh, the, uh, famously sort of... You sort of recognise her as an image because she was sort of in her 50s American woman with the eye patch yes and uh, very fierce dogged war journalist she would risk her life to go behind enemy lines where no sane journalist would go and she would risk her life in the complete pursuit of exposing the atrocities that the world would not see otherwise so uh we had that documentary as i say that was uh, about a year ago that was based on his book what we've now got is a film based on the uh, vanity fair article barry colvin's private war Right. Right. So this obviously takes the same story, more from the perspective... It runs it as a narrative, and it takes it from the perspective of Marie Colvin as a central figure, played by Rosamund Pike. Yeah. Because just, just who I think of when I think of a 50-something, you know, grizzled American woman yeah. with... Uh, and yet, she's amazing in it. 
She's absolutely brilliant in it. So it is the story of Marie Colvin, uh, how she lost her eye covering covering uh, war, co- war, uh, war correspondence, and in Sri Lanka, and then years later, how she went and covered the footage of the of the Arab Springs, and how that led her all the way to Hom in Syria, where she really would ultimately lay, pay the ultimate price mm. for what would become the defining coverage of that year. Um, we have a clip. Safa Abu Saif. Who did he work for? She was a 12-year-old Palestinian girl killed by a stray bullet that pierced her heart. I watched her parents hold her as she bled out. She was wearing pearl earrings. She probably thought she looked pretty that day. I see it. So you don't have to. How about the gardening section, Marie? Would that make you happy? One word to Watkins and you're there. Is that what they all died for? I don't know what they died for. Yes, you do. You see it so that we don't have to, yes, but also because you couldn't imagine a world in which you didn't. No one in their right mind would do what you do, Marie. But if you lose your conviction, then what hope do the rest of us have? So that's Tom Holland there as the editor of the... Tom Hollander, not Holland, he's Spider-Man. Tom Hollander from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And Ewan McClaimer from uh, Baby Baby, his finest role. Okay. Um, he's playing the editor of the Sunday Times and the opposite, you know, Rosamund Pike as Marie Colvin. Uh, I think this film is terrific. Yeah. Uh, it's directed by... Uh, it's directed by Matthew, uh, Matthew Heineman, right. who directed a couple of documentaries. Um, Cartel Land which you might have seen on, like, Netflix or something, um, Cartel Land and City of Ghosts, which oh, right. was, I think, only last year. And that was the uh, the story of, basically, ISIS's incursion, how that taken over a whole whole uh, a whole town and yeah. enslaved, basically enslaved an entire people. Um, so he has sort of a lot of experience of, of, you know, working on documentaries of real conflicts and real wars. And that actually does prove to his benefit. That's something he really injects into this. Oh. It's a great biographical drama anyway. Yeah. It's a great story and a drama about this journalist struggling with the weight of what she is seeing, but at the same time knowing that her seeing it is in the interests of you know, the the oppressed people. Yeah. And the stuff in there's some really profound thoughts in there, um, that there's... Uh, there's a great performance in the, at the core in, in Rosamund Pike. She's not only got, you know, uh, Marie Colvin's distinctive voice down, yeah. she also has a physicality to the part. Now, I don't particularly know the physicality uh, of Marie Colvin. I've seen just a couple of snippets in recent weeks in, remote, in relating to uh, the promotion of this yeah. movie. I've seen yeah. more footage of, of Marie Colvin. But I didn't know that when I saw the film. And uh, when I saw the film, I've seen those things since. And I'm like, oh, she, she actually did get the sort of physical presence down as well. That way she moved. And Jamie Dornan does the same thing with Paul Conroy as well. He has a way about him, just a, a sort of a twitchy, twitchy, but at the same time completely uh, uh, relaxed nature. It, it works. There's something. He's at complete peace within the character. It's it's strange that Jamie Dornan is this good in something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a great movie. I, I did. I don't think it was as good as the documentary, but uh, I just think that's because the documentary just seemed a little bit more aggressive. Right. This seems a little bit... Obviously, because it has to have a slightly softer edge to it. It has to show that she had a heart. It had to, it had to show that she did feel this weight. And yeah. obviously, whereas we're briefly told that in Under the Wire, here, that has to become the focus. Right. And so, obviously, that, that takes you off a little bit. There's, there's stuff in there that's really tremendous, though. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Rosamund Pike in it. I'm a big fan of Jamie Dornan in it, against all odds. Um, Tom Hollander, I think, is great. Um, I, 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 I thought there was just 
a lot of re- a lot of really great elements to this that all seem to come together. The cinematography for it, terrific. And you know why is it not? It's got you know one of the best cinematographers in the business worked on this. Yeah, it's got Robert Richardson as the uh, as the cinematographer, and Robert Richardson's CV includes you know such minor minor hits as Kill Bill and Shutter Island and Casino, Born on the Fourth of July, you know Platoon. You know he knows his way around the camera. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> you know? uh, but yeah, you know it, it, there's just so much to it. Uh, you know uh, uh, Nikki uh, Nikki Amuka Bird, great supporting uh, cast. She plays uh, the the best friend who really has to walk a fine line between sort of comforting and interventioning intervening yeah so you know in in certain elements of it and of course the tooch turns up (laughs) Stanley Tucci I love him in this so uh, you know it on the whole I think it is a really solid really good film but you know this has been a year when we've gotten to the awards time and the academy's just sort of ignored like destroyer and then this yeah and you're thinking just not a good year for the girl movies I mean widows got completely ignored as well it's not a good year for the for the for the female movies Mm. not a I mean, if, unless you're the favourite. Well, yeah. In which case, you literally are the favourite. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know. How wordsmithy. <laughs> so, um, shall we move on to the box office top five for this week? Yes. Number five. Glass. Which I really, really didn't enjoy. I thought this was a complete waste of potential. I think it, the first... I mean, it sounds weird to say that the first few minutes promise something really, really, so really something, and then it's just, oh, screw it, we're doing a sort of uh, you know, Outer Limits episode, you know, that's just the drama piece in a mental hospital. Yeah. Like, you really could have framed this as a one-hour anthology series episode. Oh. And to be honest with you, though, M. Night Shyamalan has dipped his toe into that stuff, like, attempted to the last few years. I think he's uh, been trying to do Tales from the Crypt, as a series, I think that was right. So maybe that is where his mind is working at the moment. Mm. It's it's entirely possible, and if if that's the case, it would go some ways to as to explain uh, Glass, which left me uh, just thinking: Why is Samuel Jackson narrating this yeah. without actually being the narrator? Um, you know, <laughs> why have we got the entire cast in a car park yelling about the plot at one another? It's it, it's just a completely missed opportunity. But you know what? James McAvoy's having some fun, clearly. So. Uh, you know, I suppose there's that to enjoy. People do seem to have gotten on with it. Yeah. Number four, Green Book. Which you enjoyed as well, didn't you? I did. I've decided. I did. <laughs> you decided now. It takes me a while, I know. It was that BAFTA win, wasn't it? Thinking, All right, now he's won the BAFTA. I can get away with saying I like it. <laughs> <laughs> It's like when that team that you, you're embarrassed to admit you support yeah. wins the championship. You're like, oh, I knew they had it in them the whole time. Because yeah. <laughs> otherwise, you know, it was embarrassing to be a fan of the Herschler. He never gets any acclaim. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I really like Green Book. And my neighbour watched it on my recommendation and, and, like, profoundly thanked me. Oh, nice. Yeah, she, she was, like, genuinely moved by it. She thought it was an incredible film. It's, it's a good film. And uh, and I think my mum was the same. My mum had that same reaction as well, that kind of Forrest Gump-like reaction to it of, yeah. oh, that was sweet. Yeah. You know. I, I tell people that it's worth it just for um, the having fun playing piano scene. Oh, God, yeah. Because... That is the best bit. I think what really makes that film for me, and it's that there's the moment that I think, if it, I mean, it gets, it's pulled off brilliantly, right? It's pulled off very, very well, but you do sit and think, if this were pulled off even 10% less effectively, this moment would have sunk your movie. And it is the, uh, there is a scene in which um, Herschel Ali is told he can't sit in a restaurant. Yeah. 
and there's a discussion about it, and there is the the argument, and there is the the conflict and the resolution. It's all one big scene. Yeah. And uh, I do think that if that were not played so note perfectly, like Viggo Mortensen knows just how sharply to be in that moment. Yeah. And Mahershala Ali knows just how how righteous and completely indignant to be at the same time. And I think it's a terrific scene. When I think of Green Book, I always immediately think of that scene. Yeah. But I do think it's a really good movie. It is a good movie, and, and it uh, should be watched. It should be watched. I would be very happy if that won Best Picture. Yeah. Number three. How to Train Your Dragon. The Hidden World. <laughs> Which I really enjoyed. I went and saw this on Saturday morning just by myself, just potted along and <laughs> planted myself in the seat in the corner of the multiplex. And it was like 9.30 in the morning, so it was relatively uh, relatively empty. There were only like a couple of mums and their sons. So you cheering there. along didn't seem to bother many people. It didn't seem to. But there were enough people like loudly eating jelly beans and things that I thought, I'm, I'm fine. And I had a great time with it. And I don't, I mean, I think it's the, I actually think it's the second best one of these. I feel like in hindsight, the first Outstream of Dragon is the most unnecessary necessarily convoluted or I think like it goes a bit off the off the adventurous path a bit too often I get what you're saying but I yeah. really like it I know I, I still like it but I do think about I think it's I actually think this trilogy if you if you reverse if you flip it upside down it almost exactly reflects inversely the Dark Knight trilogy we should test that over we should a weekend test that, yeah <laughs> um, so the third one I think is the second best and uh, it doesn't have the emotional heft that the last one did. Because okay. admit it, the last one, number two, broke you. No. Did it not? No, because... You are a soulless husk of a man, sir. Like Kelly says, I'm dead inside. You are truly. <laughs> you are just... You're just a corpse with nipples, aren't you? That's what it is. Okay, so, I mean, the, the third one, I think, very enjoyable. Um, I, I did notice, rather amusingly, that they uh, they had replaced T.J. Miller with someone, some unknown, who was just putting on a T.J. Miller-like voice. Really? Yeah, I couldn't help but wonder why they did that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I had a good time with it. I think uh, the adults seemed to enjoy it, the kids seemed to enjoy it. I enjoyed it. Win all round, I'd say. Like it. Number two. Alita, Battle Angel. That's that's the one, yeah. You see, it's so forgettable. You're forgetting the title as you're reading it, you see? I, that's, so, that's how it works. I honestly looked at it and I was like, that's not a word. <laughs> I've forgotten this word. I encountered it at a multiplex a week ago. I've already forgotten it. That's how forgettable Alita is. And it's a really derivative work. It's a bit of Shappy, it's a bit of Elysium, it's a bit of Rollerball. You know, it, it's just hodgepodge of different pieces and it doesn't quite work uh. because it just feels like everyone just talks in exposition. Oh, and right. The effects on Alita just seem unnecessary and needlessly silly and the, the, the villains like Ed Screen and Casper Van Dien all look bloody awful. They just look like someone has just... Uh, I mean, it literally is, you know, they've just mapped his face, just badly cut it out, and not bothered to blend it onto the thing that they are slapping it atop. Oh. And it just looks ludicrous. Oh. But it, it reminded me, actually, a bit of that Spawn movie from the late 90s, how bad the effects were in that. This feels like the modern equivalent. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you've seen, like, Ready Player One, it just, it, like, how, you're like, how have we reversed this so quickly? Yeah. It's like going from it's like going for the 3D in Avatar to going to the 3D in Clash of the Titans. Oh, Remember that? Yeah, it's that kind of a quality leap. Oh, if you think God. about how you go from like Ready Player One to Alita, or from Avatar to Alita, it is about that quality dump. Oh, that, that, that was such a bad film. <laughs> you see now, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, it's fine, I guess. Just don't expect to be wowed or blown away by it. You just you've seen it before. 
you know. It's fine, I guess. <laughs> it's fine, I guess. That'll do. Number one. Everything is Lego Movie 2, the second part. <laughs> uh, would you believe I was really disappointed by this? Right, so I've only seen the first five minutes of the first one because okay. I felt so unbelievably sick. Okay, was but, that because of the style of animation? Yeah, I just oh, right, okay. couldn't deal with it. But now I've seen Spider-Verse, I think, if I can deal with that, because that's quite throwing, I, yeah. I should go back and watch it. But you sort of, sort of tried it in the cinema, though, didn't you? Uh, no, Kel saw it in the cinema, I didn't. Oh, you watched it on home release. Yeah. Oh, okay, I was going to say, maybe it's just because it was on a bigger screen. Mm. You know, I had that with early Transformers movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. need to see it on the small screen, so we take it all in. But, uh, I mean, this does not quite work anywhere near as well as the first one does. For one thing, this is a musical. The first one was not. Okay. Um, the attempt to expand the plot and take it in a slightly even more meta direction, for me, comes without quite the not the depth it has the depth and it has the meaning and it has the the clever thing it's trying to say and the clever point it's trying to make mm. but i think because you you're so much less engaged in it it doesn't work quite as well right having said that it's still very good okay. i still enjoyed it like yeah. end to end i wouldn't say i was bored at any point and i constantly was aware of what was going on in the phone i was rooting for the characters etc yeah. but i just didn't care as much as I did the first time. The first movie more or less immediately grabbed you by the scruff of your neck and said, pay attention, we're about to explore the human condition yeah. with Lego. Well, And this kind of doesn't. Mm. And uh, we are going to review a sequel that does a very similar thing. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, but, you know, having said that, it does seem to have its fans. I think it, it's it's financially not doing anywhere near as well as uh, as the previous Lego movies. They seem to be on decline now. All oh, right. And there is talk about what does this particular film and how well it's gone down mean for the franchise. Right. But uh, I guess time will tell on that. So, yeah. uh, well, we'll come back and we'll uh, do some more reviews, shall we? With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back, Mr. Colson. Hello. So, um, well, as you said earlier, we encountered jellyfish. Yes, we do. So uh, let's just document that encounter. So Jellyfish is the feature debut of... Uh, well, he's been made a bunch of short films, James Gardner. Right. And uh, what he's made here is he's made, <laughs> effectively, Billy Elliot with stand-up comedy. Oh. Right. But at the same time, it's I, Daniel Blake, with a teenage girl. And it's all set and filmed in Margate. Uh, I know, right? I did not expect you to oh. say Margate. <laughs> <laughs> Hilariously enough as well, if you go on the IMDb and you go on the trivia bit for, for this film, it says, under spoilers, filmed in Margate and Kent. <laughs> <laughs> what is that a spoiler? <laughs> You're like, what was spoilers mean in your house, pal? <laughs> Filmed in Margate, you've ruined my life. <laughs> There's so, no point in watching it. Now. I know, but the film is terrific. Oh, good. Okay, so it is the story of a young girl, Sarah Taylor. She's a 15 year old girl, and she is basically the caretaker for her family. Right, right. So her family includes her mother, who's uh, who's uh, suffers from uh, manic depression, okay, but crippling manic depression to the extent she rarely gets out of bed. Yeah, and she has a deal with her daughter whereby all she has to do is go and sign on. 
sign on for benefits and the daughter will run the house and manage the kids okay. because she has um, twin twin younger siblings right and basically her, you know she goes to school herself she makes sure the kids go to school and are fed and looked after etc and then she goes and works at one of Margate's seafront uh, arcades oh, okay and uh, where she also runs a, a sideline to make the to make ends meet uh, let's just say getting a little handsy in the back alley oh yes and then one day at school because don't forget she goes to school as well okay yeah at school uh, she meets uh, she gets uh, taken aside by her very compassionate drama teacher right. played by uh, Cyril Henry and uh, he sets her a challenge because it turns out she has a bit of a mouth on her oh. and she's able to just go off on a rant on a complete tangent but she's kind of witty about it I mean I can relate to be <laughs> honest nice. um, and, she is t- and she is told by her teacher I want you to go and look into stand up comedy yeah. And so she does, and what's this start starts is a sort of rocky eight mile style journey towards this girl exploring stand up comedy and what this means and it could it mean could she leave this place? Is is it a pipe dream? Is it so ridiculous? Is it not even worth considering? And all of this is done in a completely modern context that includes comedians such as Frankie Boyle and Catherine Ryan alongside Richard Pryor and George Carlin. Oh. Yeah. Here's a clip. Sarah, why are you here? I don't know, sir. Come hell or high water, you will be going out onto that theatre royal stage. I don't care whether it's to fart the national anthem. You know, when I gave you this job, it was with a view to you going full-time. just makes me think, Sarah, that I don't know that you've got somewhere else that's more important to you. Stand up. I am standing up. Your act. I want you to go figure out what comedy is. I couldn't get tickets for the synchronised swimming, so instead I watched a woman drown through a kaleidoscope. All you have to do is sign on, the rent gets paid, and I, I look after the rest. I can get a job. They want employees a speed bump. You see what I mean about the mouth, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Liv Hill plays her. Now, I didn't know Liv Hill, but according to IMDb, um, she's, she starred in The Little Stranger. But it's IMDb, so you never know whether or not to take that as gospel. Oh, OK, you know? OK. I don't remember per se, but I think she's genuinely terrific in here. And I was watching her thinking, this is the kind of young actress that shines through in a role like this, then gets something slightly less remarkable, but more but marginally more mainstream, and then wins the EE Rising Star Award. Oh, OK. Like, you can practically hear them sharpening, sharpening the nomination letter for her. As you're watching, she's genuinely brilliant in it. She gives a really layered, nuanced performance. And uh, it just just perfect for it. She's just got the right energy at the right time. Oh. Just the right level of aggression and just the right level of restraint. She knows just how to target it at any given point in the story. And it's really good. It's actually really, really gripping. There's a lot of handheld work in there as well. I uh, I thought the cinematography took to this uh, the visuals I thought did a tremendous job I think uh, the way he, the way in which handheld footage is used to create a disorienting feeling at really appropriate times yeah and and really sort of take you intentionally away from things going on in the story is done with real precision it's done with real craft and a great eye for it uh, for a, for a narrative debut for a feature debut sorry not narrative debut for a feature debut yeah. I think this is genuinely tremendous and I think it's got a great performance from her I also really liked Cyril Henry in it and uh, I was trying to figure out where I knew him from and it turned out it was from The Bill I don't even watch The Bill how do I know him from The Bill that's great (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah can't recommend it highly enough I thought it was really great so uh, yeah so should we uh, move on really quickly to our next review then yeah go for it okay which 
against my every expectation, also turned out to be great. Oh. Yeah. I did not see this coming. It's instant family. Right. Right. So this got announced around the time that Daddy's Home 2 was coming out last year. Okay. Right, about, about a year or so ago. So it, it's it's been a relatively quick uh, announcement and turnaround now the film is here. Yeah. And it's uh, it's an adoption family comedy directed by uh, the man who brought us Horrible Bosses 2. Right. And uh, with Millers. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, oh, what was the other one? And anyway, those those movies, and uh, it's it stars Mark Wahlberg, and it is uh, Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne are a sort of forty-ish, uh, you know, mid-tier, middle-level, you know, decently affluent couple, right? Who you know they run a property renovation business together. They've got comfortable enough life that yeah. you know, for most of the film, you don't have to see uh, either of them really work. It's, yeah. it's that kind of a life, you yeah. Know? And they decide that basically they've just let enough time go by. They really should have had kids. They would like kids, but is it not a bit late? now and as mark Wahlberg puts it well you know maybe it's a shame you can't just adopt a five-year-old pretend i had it back when i was like 36 and of course a light bulb goes off in in rose burn's head they explore the adoption process right right which is depicted kind of like the movie role models oh yeah very so very briefly this and every, and every now and again it goes back to it, it goes into this role models kind of style of comedy um complete with Octavia Spencer and Tig Notaro. Okay. And they're absolutely tremendous. They're really great fun. But they settle on... They, they encounter a teenage girl in this sort of open day for the kids, yeah. right, where, where potential parents could meet their you know, potential adopted children. Right. And they encounter a, a sassy teenage girl played by uh, Isabella Mona, or, or Monet or Mona, I think it's Mona, uh, who also weirdly starred with Mark Wahlberg in Transformers Age of Extinction, if you remember that. The, the the little Hispanic girl that sort of accompanies him on that plot. Oh, yeah. 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 Last Extinction? No, no, Last Night. Last Night, not Age of Extinction. Yeah. Yeah, she goes, I remember there's a really offensive bit where he turns around and just calls her J-Lo offhandedly. Oh, wow. Yeah, because it was one of those movies. Well, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so they encounter Isabella uh, Mona. She's, you know, being sassy and giving them lip. Uh, but she actually demonstrates that, you know, actually underneath she is quite sharply intelligent. Okay. So they pursue adopting her only to discover that actually she comes with two younger siblings as well. Right. And the three of them, you know, would prefer to be kept together, obviously. You yeah. Know, mothers uh, in prison for crimes relating to drugs, etc., having ra- raised them in squalor. Do you think this mismatched family unit might experience hardships but love along the way? I mean, there's a chance. There is a chance, isn't there? Here is Mark Wahlberg discovering that love. Hey, hon. Hey. Hi. How's she doing? She's good. Oh, and check this out. I got here early and Lizzie saw me and she came over and just starts talking. To you? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Well, oh, it's okay. Calm down. I'm going to take you, okay? Go. Thanks, Daddy. Did you hear that? I just got my first daddy. So yeah, you get the kind of tone from yeah. that. But actually, that uh, that tone isn't actually the tone this goes for. See, that is a problem with what's been done with this film. Right. Because from the concept I gave to you, yeah. adoption comedy, director of Horrible Bosses 2 and We're the Millers, Mark Wahlberg, you expect something quite broad and crap, don't you, really? Yes. Yeah. No, no. Actually, what you get is a slightly more elevated version of something like Role Models. 
Oh. And it really works. Again, I say against my expectations, but what it just happens is that every constituent component of this is dialed up to such a specific position on on the spectrum that they do weirdly line up in a, in, in a strange way. The stars align, as it were. Oh. So it turns out that Mark Wahlberg playing it kind of like he's in Ted. Yeah. And Rose Byrne playing it kind of like she's in Neighbours. And Isabella Mona playing the sassy teenage, teenage, you know, uh, I don't know how to describe her, just, you know, the, the, the sassy teenage p- uh, pun master, as it were, or the sass master. Um, that is, it's all stuff that just works. Sean Anders, if you haven't noticed, by the way, from the films I've named, does have a weird thing about family units, about unorthodox family units. Yeah. And you look at films like We're the Millers and That's My Boy and Daddy's Home, films that he's made and how they all feature blended or sort of surrogate family units. Yeah. And then you get to the end of this film, actually, and it does include a PSA for the foster care system. Oh. And you go to instafamily.org and it's like a globally based thing. It connects you to your nearest fostering service that you could, if you want to explore it for yourself oh, because yeah. actually what they've gone for is quite a charming uh, film of look this comes with hardships yeah uh, but it comes with rewards and when it's when it's doing that this film is tremendous it's really effective yeah. i had no this thing even brought me to tears once or twice Ooh. but you know where it lets itself down where Every now and again, instead of being the movie whereby it's all about the character beats and those and those power the story, yeah. where it is just about that relationship, what the film has to do is bring in external forces, and it brings in you know like a ticking clock element and right. like a a potential legal case element, and yeah. a courtroom and things like that. And it's when it's doing that that it doesn't work quite as well because then it becomes plot driven. Yeah, and the characters are charming enough that they didn't need that. The, the characters work. The tones do what they do. Bounce off one another, and you know the chemistry between uh, Mark Wahlberg and Isabella Mona really works. And the chemistry between uh, 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 Rose Byrne yeah. and Isabella Mona is fantastic. It's a really great film, and it is about that chemistry. It is about those relationships, and it's very funny because the jokes have meaning, right? And I really like that about it. And uh, you know, there's a recurrent gag, for instance, about how they uh, how they keep injuring one of the children, okay. and how you know this just looks bad from yeah. the outside. <laughs> there's that kind of gag, but there's stuff in there. There's there's humour that you know has been mined clearly from someone with first hand knowledge right, yeah. of the foster care system. So there's a gag, for instance, whereby the adoption service are kind of playfully manipulative. Right. You know, like, you'll see the bit in the trailer when he's, when, when they're showing the pictures of the kids, and he's like, why would you show us that? Yeah. And, and they're doing that kind of stuff intentionally, and it's really fun. Okay. It's really funny, and it really works. I would watch a whole spin-off movie from this, just starring Tig Notaro and, uh, and Octavia Spencer. Okay. Just as these characters, just in a completely separate movie. Maybe they go on a road trip or something. I don't know. <laughs> they, they go on holiday to Vegas. I would watch the hell out of that movie, because Octavia Spencer is the MVP of a film that actually has quite a few really good performances in it. Oh. Um, it's, got, it's got more than enough in the way of laughs. And as I say, there's just those bits when it needs to focus the plot. Yeah. Think of Big Daddy. Remember Big Daddy? How that film was funnier when it was doing the stuff that didn't relate to the court case where they try and take the kid away from him. Yeah. That. Right. It's basically exactly like that, but be- but a better movie. Okay, that that's it. I was very impressed by it. I uh, laughed far more than I thought I would. I had a really good time with it. Oh, brilliant. Yep. Did not expect to. Did. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. 
the Movie Marker radio show and podcast. And we're back for one last ride, Mr. Coulson. So, to where should we go next? Um, happy Death Day to you. Happy Death Day to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, you know I'm a big fan of Happy Death Day. Me too. Of, of, of the first Happy Death Day. I'm a tremendous fan. Um, yeah, you like it as well, don't yeah, you? It's great. Obviously, me and Kelly obviously bond over our love of trashy horror movies Yeah, sometimes. I got in on this one. Did felt, you? Yeah, felt yeah, like the old team could, were back yeah, together. Yeah, it was good, isn't it? That, that nice little three-way of ours. That's that's fun. So, Happy Death Day, which came to us, was it, it was about a year ago? It was about... Uh, I think it was about a year ago in the UK. Right. Because I know it came out later, um, later on this side of the pond. Yeah. It came out as sort of late Halloween, November kind of thing in the US, and then it was January here. So this feels like it's arrived more or less 12 months later. Yeah. Right. So this takes place, fittingly enough then, literally the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> literally the next day. So you remember the uh, the blonde stoner kid who keeps coming in in the morning in Happy Death Day? <laughs> yeah. Right. So every day in Happy Death Day, uh, you know, uh, Jesse, uh, Jessica Roth as Tree Gelpin, I think her name is, or Gelhern or something like that. She wakes up, in you know, hungover, in a dorm room. It's her birthday. She wakes up after, a, is it a trashy one-night stand she's had? Yep. Um, with a nerd, and then later later that day, on her birthday, she is murdered. Yes. By a masked killer. And then she groundhog days the whole thing every time she dies. Yes. Right. The guy who comes in in the morning also does the same thing on the second day. Oh, great. Yeah. Only, this time, he's got news of his own. He's just had the same thing happen to him. Oh. Yes. It also then transpires, and I want to say, by the way, this is the first five minutes of the movie. Okay. Okay. During which they do give you the honest trailer for the first movie. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay, so if you've not seen the first one, don't worry about it. You know, Jessica Roth is going to tell you what happened, as if she is the narrator of the honest trailer. Does she do it in the voice? (laughs) Sadly not. (laughs) (laughs) But um, within the first five minutes, we also learn that uh, stoner interrupter roommatey McFair, Mm. he is uh, also a particle physicist. And he and his... I know, I know. Bear with me. They have built a what's basically a particle accelerator that when they switch it on at 12.01 in the morning, I'll get to that in a minute, okay. uh, 12.01 basically started the time loop. And through learning about this, an accident befalls, whereby Tree is then sent back in time to, to relive the events of the first time loop. So the events of Happy Death Day 1, only this time... In a different dimension. Yeah, here's a clip. Dude, I am tripping right now. Yeah. No, 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 seriously. I'm having that thing. You know, what's it called? When you feel like you've already lived through something before. Deja vu? Yes, that. I feel like I've totally lived through this day already. Wait, what? Just breathe. Just breathe. Listen to me. The day reset when you died, right? Yeah, some psycho dude in a baby mess attacked me. But it was just a dream, right? Tombs is dead. So is Lori. And who's the killer this time? Uh, hello? Will someone please explain what the hell is going on? And you're going to be stuck reliving this day until we figure out how to stop it. So as you might be able to guess from that clip, this is going a bit wilder with the tone. Right. Yeah. And... Thing is, no one was watching Happy Death Day, you know, at least initially for the characters or anything like that. No. You were there because it was Scream Does Groundhog Day. Yes. Right. This more or less ditches the, uh, the, the, the slasher angle. Why? 
because they would rather go down because for some reason they think we care enough about Jessica Roth's character at this point to want to basically just explore her version of Back to the Future 2. Okay. Yeah. You know where it's the same characters but they have slightly different personalities? Yes. Like that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Okay. And when it doesn't, it goes really silly. Because rather than, you know, slightly meta horror movie, which you got last time, with a dash of sci-fi, what you've got this time is a very meta sci-fi comedy with a dash of horror. Oh, you see what they've done. Uh, Yeah, and unfortunately it's not quite as effective. Now, Jessica Roth is just about entertaining enough to to carry you through it. But even she feels a lot more broadly comedic this time. Right. So, you know, last time all of her behaviour kind of felt understandable or even when she really went nuts. Like, you know when they do that that, that Groundhog Day montage bit where they just rapid fire through a bunch of days? Like, it's always the funniest bit of the time loop. Yeah, they're the best. You know the one when all of a sudden they're firing golf balls through the Stargate and (laughs) things like that. You know, staple of every... You know, he's dropping toasters into bathtubs and (laughs) robbing banks and stealing the groundhog. You know those montages. Yeah. When they did those bits, kind of thing, in in the first movie, it still felt like stuff you would do. Yes. And in this one, they they, they go even broader with it, and one of them is honestly so laugh-out-loud funny that it's almost worth the entire movie. Okay. And weirdly, is the second unseen half of a gag that is very prominently shown in the trailer. Oh. Yeah, but... Oh, there's also one that directly references Back to the Future on, like, three levels. It's fantastic. But the problem is the film just isn't as much fun as the first one because it is so much sillier. It doesn't have that dark heart and that gleeful nastiness to it, and you just... You don't love it in the way that you do. You do feel... Even if... Because I haven't seen the film recently. Yeah. I hadn't seen the first one recently. I watched it like when it hit uh, DVD, you know, like two, three months after it was in cinemas. And I think that was the last time I watched it. It was on TV kind yeah. of thing. And I, I slapped it on. And I had a good time with it. And I thought, oh, yeah, that was, one, that was one of the good ones. Yeah. If you're going to make sequels of it, go and do the Final Destination thing and just have unconnected casts do the same thing. Yeah. yeah it works. It's a good enough one. I'd watch Happy Death Day at the Beach. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? You just change the setting up I every really time. I really would watch that. Like you'll, you'll watch Happy Death Day in the Snow, Happy Death Day at the Beach, Happy Death Day on Holiday in Europe. You know, you, you'll watch those sequels happily. Yeah. This feels like a misfire. It feels like they have needlessly overcomplicated it and then lent in the wrong direction with it. Right. It's not unenjoyable. It's you, you can get on with it perfectly fine, but it's a lot more forgettable than the first one is by virtue of just how silly but how much less interesting. Okay. It is, if you know what I mean. You you care infinitely less about these characters, despite the fact that they seemingly have an awful lot more to do. Yeah. Yeah. She's fine. She's entertaining off. The, uh, the Israel Broussard character is, you know, just the love interest now, so he's less interesting. All right. And when it goes really silly, though, it, it does turn you turn you significantly away. Ah, it, right. it does. It does leave you very cold. But the bits that work are fun enough, and there's only a couple of deaths and things that will get you. And, yeah. You know what I mean? It, it satisfies. It doesn't particularly thrill. Okay. So, yeah, either way, I don't think I'll call it uh, Film of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think, actually, for Film of the Week, I think, oh, it, it's a, I'm torn on this one. Because I really, really liked Jellyfish. Yeah. And Instant Family and A Private War. Equally, for different reasons. They're all great movies. If I let you pick two, then. 
All right, how about if you're on a date, go and see Instant Family. Okay. If you're going out with a friend who owns a scarf, go and see Jellyfish. Okay. And if you're going out with a friend who always carries a copy of The Guardian, go and see A Private War. <laughs> okay. How about that? We'll just go with that. That's my, that's my compromise. What if you're on a date with a person wearing a scarf holding a copy of The Guardian? Well, then I can't help you, son. Okay. I can't help you. i got nothing for you. <laughs> So, uh, we're off next week, because uh, I'm, I'm away. Someone's and gallivanting. I'm off gallivanting. And, you know, Brooklyn in the house. <laughs> uh, so we've got that next week. And then, of course, after that, um, Case will be returning, if all goes according to plan. Oh, is he coming back? Case will apparently be coming back. Um, I might just turn up and interrupt anyway. Y- you should. We'll have a, th- a three-way recording. That's what yeah, we'll okay. do. And, he, and, of course, that'll be Oscars week. The Oscars will be fresh that week. Oh, of course he's coming back for that. Yeah, of course, because we, we, we couldn't be bothered to look things up, so we thought we'll just get Case back. <laughs> he could just reel this stuff up. But, of course... Um, uh, the week that we're back, interesting stuff to come out. Yes. Uh, Fighting With My Family is out. I want to see that. I really want to see that as well. Uh, Foxtrot is out. The Hole in the Ground. Sauvage. Of Love and Law. Uh, what They Had, which uh, I feels like I've been, I've been hearing about that for ages and okay. not seen that yet. And uh, Serenity, a movie that has gotten very bad reviews in the US... But sounds so bonkers, I can't wait to see it. Okay. Because I know what the twist is. Oh. There's a big twist to it. I can't wait. Okay. Yes. And it's it's so much more than you think. I just, I'm dying to see this. This is my new orphan. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which seems like an odd film to reference the week you're talking about Instant Family. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So we've got all those come and more the week after next off screen, which I think will be like March 1st onwards. Yes. Um... In the meanwhile, this is Mechanic Store Production for Movie Market. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we shall return. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more movie news, reviews, and more, visit moviemarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Podcast extras. So we need to talk about uh, the subject that I know has been heavy on your mind, as it always is. We uh, we need to talk about Movie Pass. Oh so. God, yeah. <laughs> you love you some Movie Pass, don't you? It is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Is what it is. <laughs> it's so much more absurd than ridiculous. <laughs> the you can do whatever you want, but we're not prepared that it might cost money. Yeah, <laughs> business model. Yeah. It's it's crackers. Well, the chickens have come home to roost, it would seem. Okay. They have have made their bed, and now they will lay merrily upon it. So, I don't know if you know this, but back in November, a lawsuit was was launched against them. No. Right, and and the lawsuit was... It was a class action suit, which means, you know, when you've got a lot of people that collectively want to sue the same piece, it becomes a class action thing. And uh, they sued MoviePass back in November for adding booking fees. So, you know, you paid for your account. Sometimes you can pay a year in advance, for instance. Yeah. And see whatever movie you want. That's that's the policy as they pitched it. As much as you want. Right. But people were buying these 12-month subscriptions, like, in advance, paying the year up front. Yeah. And then, when they went to book the film, then being charged, like, $2 for a booking fee. Right. So they kicked off. Yeah. Which is understandable. We would. You know, yeah. if, we, if it was like Cineworld Limited and there's a booking fee, yeah. you'd be annoyed. Yeah, you would. In fact, they actually specifically advertise, you know, that that isn't a thing, that yeah. they don't do booking fees if you're a member. Yeah. You know, just just give it. As long as we have you on the mailing list, no booking fees. <laughs> you know how it works. <laughs> so they got sued over that, like, back in November. But nothing's right. really seemingly come of that yet. It's one of these still going on. Okay. Right. Another, another lawsuit has been launched against them. Not just a lawsuit. Another bloody class action suit. Oh. 
Oh, my God. You can go up online right now and sign up to join this one. Oh, wow. Right. So this is two guys who paid, you know, paid for Movie Pass, got told they could see, uh, you know, however many, and then, like, three films a month when the limits started coming in. The yeah, because they changed it. Yeah. Right. But they found that even when they were being told they could have three films a month, every time they went on the app and they saw the screenings that were available to them, there was no, there were no, there were none there. Yeah. So they're alleging that actually they weren't offered enough in the way of screenings to even attend three films a month. Right. And enough people have experienced the same damn thing. Right. That it has become a class action lawsuit, oh. and that has now been filed. Now, that's a bad week. That is a bad week. That is a bad week. But you know what might make it worse? Oh, God. Being a publicly traded company who gets taken off the Nasdaq, they are worth so little now in share price that they have actually plummeted below the limit of what it takes to legally be considered a publicly tradable stock. Oh, my God. Yeah, the limit is $2 a share, I believe, or something like that. If you fall below that, then you are just... No, why would we make the stock available? It's not even worth it's it. It's not even worth... Yep. electricity to put you on the ticker. <laughs> yeah, you're not worth the LEDs. You take like 60 LEDs. You ain't worth that, buddy. God, that's so bad. God, God luck getting people to see to see Goddy. You know, I st- <laughs> I still can't believe that they managed to change the terms of service so many times. I know it's so weird. Isn't Just it? like every couple of months, I ah oh, that didn't work. How about yeah. you tried this? It's a lot worse for you, and maybe we'll make our money back. No, that didn't work. Okay, do you want to buy t-shirts? No. All right, films again. Okay, there's none available, and now they're getting sued for it. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, oh, imagine that actually getting sued oh. for the bad thing you've done. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I, my favorite. Oh. Th- my favorite. This all came about because my favorite thing was. It got launched. I was like, this is never going to work. Yeah. It didn't work. And then one of their attempts to bring it back from the dead was to start selling T-shirts. And it's like, no. I know. It's bizarre. No, people are signing up because this is a ridiculous idea and they are milking it for as much as they can until you die. And yet, as if by dumb luck, these people did also have money in like American animals, in funding American animals. They're one of like the production companies. So it's like, and I think that has to have happened by accident. Yeah. Because it just doesn't seem a level of intelligence in keeping with how the rest of this business oh, has been run. God, I can't believe how bad it is. Oh, wow. So good. Oh, I tell you, I just, I, I, while I'm in New York, I want to try and find merchandise. I want to see if I can find, like, movie pass. There's got to be a nerd store. I'll find one. Yeah. I'll, there's a Think Geek. I'll find a Think Geek. I'm sure there'll be a nerd thing like that. If you can get me a movie pass, like. <laughs> lanyard or something <laughs> that would be amazing that would be amazing in oh fact, man I just use that for my house keys in <laughs> fact yeah <laughs> in fact if you don't bring me back a cool You'll lanyard you will be disappointed now just full stuff yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, just... That's, that's fair yeah okay that's fair so um, I believe production has officially begun according to Dwayne Johnson on uh, Jumanji 3 J- Jumanji 3 yes yeah. that's it come on it's catching on it's got to catch on <laughs> hashtag Jumanji 3 come on <laughs> We can do this, people. We can. We can. <laughs> we can sway them in advance. <laughs> what was the one I would say? Oh, hashtag Mag7 for Magnificent yeah. 7. That's ridiculous. Tac3 <laughs> was my favourite. Oh, man. I love the hashtag culture. <laughs> but, um, so, uh, you know, Jumanji 3 has apparently uh, begun its production, and, well, I mean, it's got Danny DeVito on it, so you've got my money straight off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Danny DeVito, Aquafina, and Danny Glover, I believe, isn't it? Danny Glover, you've got my money from Danny Glover. <laughs> I know, I love me some Danny Glover. What a legend. <laughs> he really is. And, uh, oh, there's also news, you know, you're a fan of Paddington, aren't you? No. 
Do you know? I know Kelly is. Kelly is. I've not seen him. You've not seen them? I know. I've like, I've, oh, my God. I've honestly, like, hidden it from you when we've been on the show because you you love it, and I didn't want to be like, I ain't seen it, and then get berated. I, I don't just love it. I know I'm right and love it. <laughs> it's better, you know? <laughs> Paddington is just, it's like joy in bare form. And, oh, wow. Uh, well, it, it's, uh, it, I mean, that can mean a very different thing if you take it out of context. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, but they're actually going to be doing a new Nickelodeon uh, series. Right. That, I mean, it's going to be a properly, a fully animated, it's going to be CG animated, right, Paddington TV show. Okay. On the Nickelodeon channel. But it's going to have Ben Whishaw from the movies doing uh. the voice of Paddington. So presumably then, it, it sort of counts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the series counts. Yeah. Like, please tell me that actually happens and, like, Hugh Bonneville turns up in, like, guest episodes. Like, I will watch that. I mean, they should. I mean, Henry's like only a couple of months old, but I figure by the time they make this series, he might be like three or four. I could like visit my nephew and sit and watch the Paddington show, and it's in canon. That's awesome. I'm in. Wow. <laughs> just, just wow. Look, it's important to have goals, right? <laughs> okay, I only get to be an uncle like the one time, so oh, okay. you know, okay. I figure, uh, I figure I should make the most of it. You know, just, just revel in the experience. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. But yeah, so a Ben Whishaw driven uh, Nickelodeon Paddington series. I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Okay. Yeah. Anything? What else? What's going on in the news? What's going on in your man? Uh, so uh, fast and furious and furious mm. and fast and seven. Oh, what do you first, call this one? I don't know. Number forty three. I mean, I think I, like, we're mocking it. We're going to watch it. We're going to love it. It doesn't matter if it sucks. It's going to be like F nine colon subtitle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, um, Michelle uh, Rodriguez. Yes, right. recently seen apparently in uh, Elite of Battle Angel, yeah. but the film's so forgettable, I forgot. That uh, that okay, okay. Yeah, so. Well, she's not sure if she's going to do this one. Yeah, I heard this one because she did that thing a little while back where she uh, she went on social and started posting about uh, the representation of women in the. the yeah. fact, I think it was on social. It was in an interview or something, and it was about like how the women aren't particularly well represented in the Fast and Furious series, and how she was more focused apparently at the minute on. Uh, who work with other women and producing projects of her own and you know, and bolstering the prominence of women in the industry, which, yeah. you know, there's a, there, are, there are a lot of uh, actresses at the minute who have very firmly fa- uh, planted their flag yeah. on that cause, and, you know, fair enough. But uh, she said she'll wait on the script, which, to be fair, it feels like kind of negotiating in the press. Oh, yeah, that's a good job. You know what I mean? It yeah. feels like she's going to the press and saying, hey, guys, come on, just actually make me part of the plot this time yeah not or, just not just part of the family yeah not yeah i mean the, the family is not just the dudes <laughs> you know uh, and 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 rock and Stath are apparently not coming back they're off doing their own thing they're not back for the ninth apparently okay in which case it does feel like please fill the void and use the female characters yeah i feel like she's doing that publicly okay. wouldn't be surprised at all it's a good move. It's a good move. It's yeah, good move. I mean, you know, it, it, it got our attention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking about it. <laughs> exactly. That's how it works. <laughs> what else is going on, then? Um, so, Aqua Crap. Sorry, Aquaman. Um, oh, God, yes. It's got a writer. Oh, no, Aqu- Aquaman 2. Yeah. Aquaman 2 is going to, well, it's it's going to have the same writer as the first one. He's agreed. I don't forget, I don't even know who wrote it offhand. I don't even care. Has signed on to come back and write the second one. <laughs> James Wan did say he's waiting on a script, though. Oh, okay. Right, like, he'll do it 
because it takes so long to do one of these movies, he's only willing to put in that amount of time once he's seen the script. Okay. Like, why commit to it and then have to suffer, like, you know, trying to get it to... Try to crack the story for three years, for instance. Right. But... In that time, he will be producing a spin-off for them. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah, this one came out of nowhere. And it should go back to nowhere, because, <laughs> my God, Aquaman is crap. It really is, it really you is. You got my review. I did, I did. But um, apparently they want to do a horror movie spin-off. James Wan is going to produce it. Right. And uh, it is going to be called The Trench, and it will focus on the sea monsters who attack the boat on the rainy night in the DC movie. The rainy night in the dark. Yep. Never. And it's lit exactly as you expect. Crap although at one point film. They do ramp it down slowly in motion speed so that you can, you know, really savour the CG here. Pre-punch, as yeah, it were. Yeah. Yeah, you know the pre-punch. You always get that pre-punch shot. Yeah, yeah you can balance that. God, but, I hate uh, the film. <laughs> what else have we got? Um, oh, Woody Allen is... Um, oh, God, yes. He's, he's annoyed at Amazon. Yeah, he's... he's uh, I think he ruined the day a bit. Yeah. Well, he's, he's gone and sued him, hasn't he? <laughs> he's gone and, he's gone and sued him. Sued him. Right, so this, this story, I think it's one of those where you do sit there and think, oh, okay, um, to be fair, they're probably in the right, but you can kind of sort of see a point to this, which is so uh, he's sued them because they've not released his latest film. Yes. The title of which I actually forget offhand, if we're being honest. Yeah, let's stick with that. Right, okay. Um... In the meanwhile, obviously there have been there have been allegations. You know, actually they are actually not even new allegations. They're not new. The same kind of allegations They've just come back. Again. Yeah, that pop up every now and again with Woody Allen. Yeah, and this time around because I believe it's happened post Me Too or like you know whilst Me Too has been yeah. you know so prominently a focus of culturally, um, it's gained a level of traction that it normally has not. Yeah. Which has resulted in Amazon saying, okay, we're not going to release this right now. You know, we're going to postpone it indefinitely and we'll wait until the dust settles and we'll release it then. Yeah. Right. And he's he's now sued them. He sued them for 68 uh, million bucks. Yes, 68 million... Why not 70 or 65? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like when you watch a film and it's 112 minutes. You couldn't have got rid of two? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Although that's that's probably just uh, the extra frame speed on an American uh, method of filming. They use, they use 30 frames a second. Don't give me logical <laughs> answers. <laughs> Let me be angry. Uh, that's why the run times are always longer. Because yeah. we use less frames. Okay. Uh, fewer frames, sorry. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah... I'd rather not. Anyway, so, what have we got? What else have we got? Um, Josh Brolin. Ah, yes. Um, he's joining that popular club, The Cast of Dune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so it's many just, people. It's ludicrous, isn't it? There are so many people. I feel like, you know, if you, you had, like, famous friends who were actors. Yeah. Like, if you had, like, you know, Hollywood stars as friends. If one of them texted you and said, I got some news, <laughs> and you genuinely went, don't tell me, you're in the cast of Dune. Yeah, 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 You'd be in with a good chance of actually being right. You would. Yeah, I you feel would. like that. Do you know what? There's another club mm-hmm. that's the same. Go on. And it's for a film that we shouldn't care about. Go on. Which is The Kingsman. Oh, God, yes. This sounds insane. My, like, this is what I like about this. My notes actually say, so many actors. <laughs> <laughs> right, this was the thing. I didn't really... I didn't see... I didn't register that this was genuinely happening for the longest time. Yeah. But now, the last few months, they've started casting it. Things 47 like... people. <laughs> <laughs> Probably is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and now they're starting to actually cast it and things. It yeah. just seemed like, oh, oh, this might actually happen. So what you've got with this one, very, very strange thing this time around so um aaron taylor johnson has joined this film alongside matthew good 
Yep. Um, and Gemma Arston yep. and Tom Hollander, Harris Dickinson, Ray Fiennes, Reese Siffens, Daniel Bruhl, Charles Jan- Dance, Alison Steadman, and Jaiman Hunsu. And it is a prequel movie set in the Kingsman universe during World War One. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, depending on how it works, I mean, it could work. You see, I'm so angry at how terrible the second one was. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, I'm struggling to figure I know, them. I know. The thing is, as well, it is Matthew Vaughan directing again, as well. And you just think, good lord. I went back to the first one, and although it's great, I still hated it a little bit because yeah. I knew the second one came from it. Yeah, you do sort of think, yeah, but we know that, like, it doesn't stay this good. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. That second one, I think I watched about ten minutes of it again on Sky Cinema, and I just, I had to turn over. I was just uh, like, I, I'm, I don't care. I remember our first conversation about it, and you were like, dude. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> oh, do, you, do you know the thing I remember about that film? Right, they, when they screened that, they screened that in the... Uh, they, weirdly, like, out, out of the blue, they never used to do this. They screened it out of the blue in the basement screening room at the uh, the Soho Hotel. Okay. Right, which is a really sort of comfy, cute little screening room, to nice. be honest. It's a little bit boutique. Ooh. Right. And uh, I remember Kermit was sat behind me, and I knew within about five minutes that he hated the film. Brilliant. Because about every five minutes, all, I just heard this sigh... This just unmistakable sigh of boredom. So nicely done. And, it, yeah. So I, like, I forgot through about two or three, and they're like, he clearly hates this. <laughs> See, this is why he's a better person than us, because we send each other messages being like, dude, expletives. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. That really is what happens. <laughs> There was a rumour the other day, by the way, that we were getting Aliens Universe TV series. Oh, uh, that's been that's been shot down now. Okay. So thank God. I mean, I I kinda want the end of Alien now. Yeah. You know, it's it's like Terminator, where I just sit and think, I love the the early instalments of that series. Yeah. And like Predator and I suppose Robocop, although I'm happy that they're doing the reboot call for that. Okay. But I just would rather they left it alone now. About four. Hmm? What about four? Which one? Alien. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I don't think it's a classic in any way. I barely think it's a decent movie, to be honest. Really? It's, it's a movie that I, I, I watch and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I kind of like it. I, it's the pulpy sort of comic-y one in the series. It's fine, but I don't really don't really go for it, to be honest. I like three a lot more than I like, than I like, than I like four. Yeah. I think three is a really underrated movie. I think it's a mess... But it's a mess that does still manage to tell a pretty decent story. Yeah. But... Yeah, uh, I'll give you that. Yeah. Even if it's not the sort of, you know, cool uh, Name of the Rose in Space yeah. version that it was meant to be. The thing is, I really like the quadrilogy. <laughs> because it's the first time you ever heard that word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was going to say, because one awesome word. Yeah, I'm pretty sure... I've always wondered about this. I, I'm pretty sure, like, that never became a popular term for films and until Alien, because yeah. there weren't really many four-film series. I don't think so, yeah. No, I had I to have invented it. And right, it's when I got my first... Um, I nearly said 3D sound, but I meant surround sound yeah. system. And, uh, like, I was putting speakers up on my wall and all that, and I put the... I was watching... 
because you remember when you used to get like a special features disc mm-hmm. you'd sit and watch it you like watch loads of things being like how are they painted toenails of the elephants in the background and you're like oh <laughs> I'll watch this and uh, one of it was setting up your sound and it was the alien sound would yes. come yeah, yeah, from yeah. all your like speakers and that was awesome it was it? terrifying like because you know if you were tired and you fell asleep you just woke up to that in the background like I'm gonna die I think if memory serves Jurassic Park had one as well that really was, that was the T-Rex oh yes I'm pretty sure that first I know the first issued DVD I had that one because when they first issued Jurassic Park on DVD 3 was just about to come out so it was a two film box set and they'd repackaged it all in black but uh, yeah I'm pretty sure that was the case oh that's cool I loved things like that remember when there were only two Jurassic Park movies yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's a weird time oh god there are five now (laughs) yeah I like the world, though. Yeah, I I, I like world. Um, like people seem to hate Fallen Kingdom a lot more than I did. It's not as good. I don't think it's as good as World, but Fallen Kingdom. I still think Fallen Kingdom is decent. I think it's a slightly more streamlined, more Guillermo del Toro inspired version of the Lost World. Right. So there's there's two little bits in it that that really bug me, yeah. and I, I don't want to go into them because it's spoilers. But one of them is like a build up at something, build up at something, hint at something. Is it really going to do that? By the way, it is that. And then they just carry on. And you're like, no, dude. <laughs> like, you can't just you can't just by the way I'm magic. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it is that, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's by the way I'm magic. Uh, by the way, you know we got that TV Honestly series. Honestly, thought you were going to say I'm magic. <laughs> <laughs> so we get the TV series spin-off of Bad Boys, you may remember. Uh, why? Called did... LA's Finest. Why bring it up? I know, I know. But, you know, apparently Bad Boys 3 is happening. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Just prod me when it actually gets a release date and it's coming. Well, I mean, obviously it has a release date, but uh, you know it's had a release date for I think, thirty-seven years. years. Yeah, yeah I think it's easily. Oh no, hang on, it's been sixteen years since Bad Boys Two. I'm pretty sure it was 2003. So it's been 16 years. And Bad Boys 3, as far as I know, has been in development at some stage or another pretty much ever since. Right, I'm getting too old for Bad Boys 3. Yeah. Oh, when you see the the set photos, and it does just look like they're just middle-aged dudes now, just, like, wearing similar costumes. Oh, no. You know, adjusted, adjusted for cultural inflation. It's just going to be like if it happens, it is going to suck. Well, no, they allege they're filming it at present, yeah. so I have to believe. <laughs> anyway, the TV series is apparently part of it now. LA's finest begins in the US on Monday, May the thirteenth. So, yay, I guess. Mm. I mean, it stars Gabrielle Union and Jessica Alba. I mean, I like the pairing. I guess. Yeah. Right. Apparently they're going to go with the idea that Marcus's sister, the character she played in the movie, has now sort yeah. of become the de facto Will Smith one. Great. And the other one's the stern mum. Yeah. But, I don't know, there's worse, there's worse ideas. Not than, many. There's worse ideas than let's, let's do it with girls, but it's actually in the canon. Yeah, okay. okay. You know, it, you would have kind of liked to go with the Ghostbusters sequel a lot more if it was taking place as an actual Ghostbusters 3. Right. I think. Okay. I genuinely, I have that theory. Anyway, okay. What else have we got? Okay, I've, I've um, got one last thing. Okay, go on. I've got one too. But right. go on. so we spoke about it the other week, the Invisible Man. Oh yes, there's uh, there's hints of tone to come. Right, I love this because it's the most basic but the most wonderful answer. 
I mean, when you when you really sit sit and look at what's been said. So they asked Jason Blum, you know, off Blumhouse, like, what's, what's going to happen? Yeah. What are you going for? Like, what direction are you going to take this? Is it going to be like Dark Universe style? Is it going to be like a horror movie? What are you doing? And basically, Tom said, look, we got this director that we made like seven great movies with. And uh, so we know he can do his job. And he came in and he pitched us a movie. And he's got this really badass, creepy, character-based movie he's just done. So we kind of just said, go with it. Okay. I am sat there thinking, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that. I love that what he basically said is, what he does best. (laughs) What do you think we hired him for? (laughs) How's the film gonna gonna end up? Look at who's doing the film, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What Tony did you for? The one he works with. <laughs> Read the room. Yeah, the only tone this cat actually does. <laughs> it's just the most brilliant answer. I love it. But, oh. uh, because usually they, they, they do try and bullshit through these things. Yeah, oh, God. Add some pretension. Yeah, they use such ridiculous adjectives. They can really get inside the characters yeah. and really make it a sort of a thematically driven yeah. narrative. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Jog on. <laughs> <laughs> Their answer is like, it's the invisible man, yeah. dude. <laughs> I mean, Hollow Man was literally that with a swinging dick. I mean, come on. <laughs> but how good is Hollow Man? Have you seen that recently? Uh, no, 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 no. No, you've ever seen Hollow Man? Yeah, I think so. Is it? Like, I, I saw it, I think, about a year ago on, uh, on like, Now TV. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, that holds up. Do you know what I always get confused about everything? Is, uh, like, the TV version mm. of The Invisible Man. Oh, is that the one that starred Neil Morrissey? Um... Because I, I, I wish that, that was quite a funny one. He, he poured water on himself and he went invisible. But it was it, honestly, it was an ITV Saturday night series. <laughs> wow! No, this is like I a this, late nineties. This is like a sci-fi channel. Or... Oh God, yes, I do know. The oh. sci-fi channel had an Invisible Man series that went on for like four or five series or something. Yeah, it? and it was um, it was, it was uh, that dude. Yeah, I think I think isn't it's not Jake Webber, is it? No, it's um. Oh man, what is his name? Uh, I think he was in Friends at one point, like in one of the very early episodes, if memory serves. Vincent? Go on. Vincent Ventresca. Mm. I think he's Fun Bobby. Oh my God, dude, he's Fun Bobby. Is he Fun Bobby? He's Fun Bobby. Yes, okay, I'm absolutely right. Brilliant. (laughs) That's been bugging me for years. Yeah, because like... Yeah, so Fun Fun Bobby is the Invisible Man. Because my dad used to watch that all the time. Your dad watches every naft sci-fi series. (laughs) Your dad is the only person I know who's ever actually watched Midnight Texas. Oh, you tried it right. Go on. So... It's been recorded on our skybox oh, God. For, for ages. And every time he comes round and he's like, oh, what have you got recorded? Yeah. And he sees it, he turns to Kelly and he's like, have you watched it yet? And she's like, no. Good Lord. <laughs> no, Sean, it sucks. And he's oh, like, it's really good. All the Vampire Diaries spin-offs, everything. Oh, I tell you. Guy's crazy. But, uh, anyway, so I had some news. This is my last piece of news for the week. And, uh, right, this is a weird story. Okay. Right. Universal have teamed up with uh, Lorne Michaels' uh, production company label. Right. right. Lorne Michaels is the, the, the sort of producer, the showrunner, the de facto big boss of Saturday Night Live. Okay. Okay. And they have teamed up and purchased the rights to, uh, <laughs> to a book by the Navy SEAL operator who fired the kill shot on Osama Bin Laden. Yes. Right. He, so he, he was the guy that fired that bullet. Yeah. You know... They've got the rights to this. They're going to make a movie. It's Lord Michaels. 
Yeah. How's this going to go? I wonder. I mean, you made a good point about previous movies and... How, well, because he, 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 obviously Lorne Michaels is involved with the Saturday Night Live, yeah. which obviously produced The Lonely Island and leads to pop star. So Lorne Michaels, I think, is a producer on some level, maybe, with, mean, the, yeah. with pop star. Like he and Judd Apatow, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, this is all going back in that direction. Please give me a Connor for real cameo in this. Oh, my God, please. I mean, at least make it a slightly lighter-hearted American sniper, because that's what the, the story apparently is, like how he uh, you know trained and entered his career and like you know rose through the ranks, and then one day... He was called upon to commit the ultimate act for his country and kill Osama bin Laden. Yeah. You know, I feel like if you played that as a slightly more light-hearted uh, American sniper, I'd be in. That was what Lorne Michaels would be good for. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. You'd watch it, wouldn't you? You would. <laughs> you would. You shouldn't, but you would. You shouldn't. You really, really shouldn't, but you would. <laughs> you will. You will. You would. I don't know. Anyway, so um, that's about it for me this week. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. we, you know, we had a bit to catch up on from... We did. A week away, so... I, I think, think it's worked out. Saw the news, we did well. I think so. I think we did. Yeah. Well, in which case, there's only one place to go then. Oh, God, yes. Here it is, your moment of cage. I was drinking champagne at nine years old with my father and eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. So that would be the first time I ate my favourite dish. That combination. 